Chapter Twenty Three of the Silent House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter Twenty Three. A Startling Theory. When Diana declared that her father yet lived, Lucian drew back from her in amazement, for of all impossible things said of this impossible case, this saying of hers was the strangest and most incredible. Hitherto not a suspicion had entered his mind but that the man so mysteriously slain in Geneva Square was Mark Vrain, and for the moment he thought that Diana was distraught to deny so positive a fact. "'It is impossible,' said he, shaking his head. "'Quite impossible. Mrs. Vrain identified the corpse, and so did other people who knew your father well.' "'As to Mrs. Vrain,' said Diana contemptuously, "'I quite believe she would lie to gain her own ends. And it may be that the man who was murdered was like my father in the face, but—' "'He had the mark on his cheek,' interrupted Lucian, "'impatient of this obstinate belief in the criminality of Lydia. "'I know that mark well,' replied Miss Vrain. "'My father received it in a duel he fought in his youth, "'when he was a student in a German university. "'But the missing finger?' she shook her head. "'He might have lost the finger while you were in Australia,' suggested the barrister. "'He might?' rejoined diana doubtfully but it is unlikely as to other people identifying the body they no doubt did so by looking at the face and its scar still i do not believe the murdered man was my father if not why should mrs vrain identify the body as that of her husband why because she wanted to get the assurance money she may have been misled by the resemblance of the dead man to your father and who provided that resemblance my dear lucian i would not be at all surprised to learn that there was conspiracy as well as murder in this matter my father left his home and lydia could not find him i quite believe that as she cannot prove his death she finds it impossible to obtain the assurance money so what does she do i cannot guess said lucian anxious to hear diana's theory why she finds a man who resembles my father and sets him to play the part of the recluse in geneva square she selects a man in ill health and given to drink that he may die the sooner and by being buried as mark vrain give her the money she wants when you tell me of this man berwin's coughing and drinking I thought it strange, as my father had no consumptive disease when I left him, and never during his life was he given to overindulgence in drink. Now I see the truth. This dead man was Lydia's puppet. Even granting that this is so, which I doubt, Diana, why should the man be murdered? Why? cried Diana fiercely. Because he was not dying quickly enough for that woman's purpose she did not kill him herself if her alibi is to be credited 
but she employed Ferrucci to murder him. You forget Signor Ferrucci also proved an alibi. A very doubtful one, said Miss Vrain scornfully. You did not ask that Dr. Jorce the questions you should have done. Go up to London now, Lucian, see him at Hampstead, and find out if Ferrucci was at his house at eight o'clock on Christmas Eve. Then I shall believe him guiltless. Till then, I hold him but the creature and tool of Lydia. Jorce declares that Ferrucci was with him at the house when the murder was committed. Can you believe that? Ferrucci may have made it worth the while of this doctor to lie. And even granting that much, the presence of Ferrucci at the Jersey Street house shows that he knew what was going to take place on that night, and perhaps arranged with another man to do the deed. Either way you look at it, he and Lydia are implicated. I tell you it is impossible, Diana, said Lucian, finding it vain to combat this persistent belief. All this plotting of crime is such as is found in novels, not in real life. In real life, cried Diana, taking the words out of his mouth, more incredible things take place than can be conceived by the most fantastic imagination of an author. Look at this talk of ours. It began with words of love and marriage speeches, and it ends with a discussion of murder. But this I say, Lucian, that if you love me and would have me marry you, you must find out the truth of these matters. Learn if this dead man is my father, for from what you have told me of the lost finger, I do not believe that he is. Hunt down the assassin and discover if he is whom I believe him to be, Ferrucci himself, and learn, if you can, what Lydia has to do with all these evil matters. Do this, and I am yours. Refuse, and I shall not marry you. You set me a hard task, said Lucian with a sigh, and I hardly know how to set about it. Be guided by me, replied Diana. Go up to London and put an advertisement in the papers offering a reward for the discovery of my father. He is of medium height, with gray hair, and has a clean-shaven face with a scar on it. You describe the dead man, Diana. But he has not lost a finger, continued Diana, as though she had not heard him. If my father, for fear of Lydia, is in hiding, he will come to you or me in answer to that advertisement. But he must have seen the report of his death by violence in the papers, if indeed he is alive, urged Lucian at his wit's end. My father is weak in the head, and perhaps was afraid to come out in the midst of such trouble. But if you put in the advertisement that I, his daughter, am in England, he will come to me, for with me he knows he is safe. Also call on Dr. Jorce, and find out the truth about Signor Ferrucci. And then? Then, when you have done these two things, we shall see what will come of them. Promise me to do what I ask you. I promise, said Lucian, taking her hand. But you send me on a wild goose chase. That may be, Lucian, but my heart, my presentment, my instinct, whatever you like to call it, tells me otherwise. Now, let us go inside. 
"'Shall we tell Miss Barber of our engagement?' asked Denzil timidly. "'No. You will tell no one of that until we learn the truth of this conspiracy. "'When we do, Lucian, you will find that my father is not dead, but is alive, and will be at our wedding.' "'I doubt it. I doubt it. I am sure of it,' answered Diana. And slipping her hand within the arm of her lover, she walked with him up to the house. It was the strangest of wooings. Miss Barber, with a true woman's interest in love affairs, was inclined to congratulate them both when they entered, deeming, as the chance had been so propitious, that Lucian had proposed. But Diana looked so stern, and Lucian so gloomy, that she held her peace. Later on, when her curiosity got the better of her desire not to offend her pupil, she asked if Denzil had spoken. Yes, replied Diana. He has spoken. And you have refused him, cried the old lady in dismay, for she did not relish the idea that Lucian should have lost by her counsel. No, I have not refused him. Then you have said yes, my dear. I have said sufficient, replied Diana cautiously. Please do not question me any further, Miss Barber. Lucian and I understand one another very well. She calls him by his Christian name, thought the wise old dame. That is well. She will not speak of her happiness. That is ill. And in various crafty ways, Miss Barber tried to learn how matters actually stood between the pair. But if she was skillful in asking questions, Diana was equally skillful in baffling them, and Miss Barber learned nothing more than her pupil chose to tell her, and that was little enough. To perplex her still further, Lucian departed for London the next day, with a rather disconsolate look on his handsome face, and gave his adviser no very satisfactory explanation at parting. So Miss Barber was forced to remain in ignorance of the success or failure of her counsel, and could by no means discover if the marriage she was so anxious to bring about was likely to take place. And so ended Denzil's visit to Berwin Manor. In the meantime, Lucian went back to London with a heavy heart, for he did not see how he was to set about the task imposed on him by Diana. At first he thought it would be best to advertise, as she advised, but this he considered would be no good, as if Vrain, supposing him to be alive and in hiding, would not come out at the false report of his murder. He certainly would not appear in answer to an advertisement that might be a snare. Then Lucian wondered if it would be possible to have the grave opened a second time, that Diana might truly see if the corpse was that of her father or of another man. But this also was impossible, and, to speak plainly, useless for by this time the body would not be recognizable. Therefore, it would be of little use to exhume the poor dead man, whomever he might be, for the second time. Finally, Lucian judged it would be wisest of all to call on Dr. Jorce, and to find out why he was friendly with Ferrucci, and how much he knew of the Italian's doings. While the barrister was making up his mind to this course, he was surprised to receive a visit from no less a person than Mr. Jabez Klein, the father of Lydia. The little man, usually so bright and merry, now looked worried and ill at ease. Lucian, so much as he had seen of him, 
had always liked him better than Lydia, and was sorry to see him so downcast. Nor, when he learned the reason, was he better pleased. Fine told it to him in a roundabout way. "'Do you know anything against Signor Ferrucci?' he asked, when the first greeting was over. "'Very little, and that bad,' replied Denzil shortly. "'Do you refer to the horrible death of my son-in-law?' "'Yes, I do, Mr. Klein. I believe Ferrucci had a hand in it. And if you bring him here, I'll tell him so.' "'Can you prove it?' asked Klein eagerly. "'No.' As yet Ferrucci has proved that he was not in Geneva Square on the night of the crime, or rather, added Lucian, correcting himself, at the hour when the murder was committed. Klein's face fell. I wish you could discover if he was guilty or not, he said. I am anxious to know the truth. Why? asked Lucian bluntly. Because, if he is guilty, I don't want my daughter to marry a murderer. What? "'Is Mrs. Vrain going to marry him?' "'Yes,' said the little man disconsolately, "'and I wish she wasn't.' "'So do I, for her own sake. "'I thought she did not like him. "'She said as much to me. "'I can't make her out, Mr. Denzil. "'She grew tired of him for a time, "'but now she's taken up with him again, "'and nothing I can say or do will stop the marriage.' I love Lydia beyond words, as she is my only child, and I don't want to see her married to a man of doubtful reputation like Ferrucci. So I thought I'd call and see if you could help me. I can't, replied Lucian. As yet I have found out nothing likely to implicate Ferrucci in the crime. But you may, said Klein hopefully. Lucian shrugged his shoulders. If I do, you shall know at once, he said. End of chapter 23